Welcome to our next episode of the 5 Moments of Need Performance Matters series. This is Bob Mosier, one of the many co-hosts you'll meet throughout this series. So friends, are you trying to learn more about the 5 Moments of Need? Maybe how to design for them, implement for them, measure them and even sell them as an approach to your enterprise. Well, in the Performance Matters series, we will help you better understand the theory and best practices behind this powerful methodology and offer proven ways to put the five moments of need into practice. Okay, friends, welcome back to another Performance Matters podcast. Bob Mosier here, one of your co-hosts. So great to have you all back. We hope you are safe and well. We're excited to do another series here with another dear friend of mine. This is our Experience Matters podcast, which is by far our most popular And this time we are lucky and fortunate to have a dear friend and mentor and hero of mine throughout my professional career and also personal, Mr. Alfred Ramis. Alfred, welcome. Great to have you here. Wonderful, Bob. Really look forward to this call. I am too, my friend. We've had many discussions in this area over the years and you've been influential in getting me here, to be honest. Those of you who are listening want to know that Alfred is the one who brought performance support to me as a learning professional as I've been on this journey and I've never looked back. So, Alfred. Can't thank you enough for that. So let's go into that to start. Give us your journey in L&D. I don't do the bios and you know that type of thing kind of deal because I want to lead into the conversation what this is about with workflow learning in five moments. So what has your journey been like that has gotten you to this place professionally as you've journeyed through L&D? You know, Bob, I started my career in 1986 right out of university. I studied social science and psychology at the University of Amsterdam graduated and never looked back at it because I never practiced sociology <laughs> or, or psychology. I immediately started the company myself, which was a, a training company. I was uh, one of the bigger training companies in IT in the Netherlands, grew it to uh, one of the top three in Europe even. And in that time frame, we did classroom training. And one of our most popular trainings was the refresher training on Word and Excel. People were there for three days. And then six months later, they came back because that was the time they rolled out the software. And then another three months later, they came back because they had forgotten about pivot tables and they needed to do one more. So I sold my company after 15 years to a a roll up and uh, decided that I wanted to do something completely different and heard about the performance support, created the performance support technology around the Microsoft technology, performance support within software which in fact became the first version of performance support in our world. Supporting software rollouts with performance support, we call them now digital adoption systems, digital Mm -hmm. adoption platforms. Even Gartner has a category for it now, like the WalkMe's and the WhatFixes and all those products are there. That was my first company in this world. And uh, it was interesting. We learned a lot supporting software rollouts, but I also found out that I had created a hammer and uh, really <laughs> went out to clients with a product and everything had to be called a nail. So I tried to convince my clients, you know, you have a nail and I have a hammer, which is my performance support product to solve this problem. And then we met in 2004 when you were the evangelist at Microsoft and I was a board member of the Microsoft Learning Advisory Council. And you started to talk about the five moments of need. And I started to talk about performance support technology. And that's when two things came together. Mm -hmm. And what I learned was that you were the winner because you had the methodology and I had the technology. And I (laughs) learned that technology really is not the starting point. The starting point is methodology. So 
after a couple of years uh, later, I really started my current company where I'm looking at supporting people in the journey from traditional classroom e-learning focused training towards a much more holistic view where learning in the flow work, supporting people at their moment of need is the the focus point. And uh, my journey has been from traditional classroom training through a technology to now five moments of need based solutions for my clients. And I started this because I saw a lot of companies talking about 70, 20, 10 and blended learning as they call it. And what I see and what I saw happening when I started this company, it was not blended learning. It was blended training. You know, it was e-learning, classroom training mixed up with some coaching and mentoring, but there was nothing when people were out of that, the first modalities, the 10 and 20, there was nothing on supporting them in the flow of work. And that's where we are today. Yeah, it's brilliant. And it's been Hugely impactful in my thinking and journey in that, Alfred. You and I have shared frustrations over the years at L&D's ability to grasp this. Grasp it's one thing, adopt is another. And we, we get the head nods, we get the whole deal. Let's move to today. The world's in a very precarious scenario. We all know this. L&D's been thrust into the limelight in some powerful and remarkable ways. And I think presented with opportunities it's fought for or wanted to have in the past. But at the same time, I think it's exposed some anxiousness in their deliverables. Why do you think and feel that workflow learning five moments in particular in the world we are in today is really the important shift that L&D needs to make right now? You know, I think that COVID was just a trigger. It was helping us to do something that was needed already for a long time. I've been working and trying to deal with some large organizations in the Netherlands. A great example is the Dutch police. You know, I've been talking with them for five years. (laughs) They always liked what I told them. And they said, Alfred, your vision and the approach of the five moments of need is something that is really appealing to us. But we don't have the time because we're so busy with our classroom training and e-learnings. Everybody is fully booked. And although they like the story, nothing happened. And then COVID hits us. And last year, April, I got a call from them and they said, Alfred, our classrooms are empty now. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have anything to do uh, at this moment. So now it's the time to talk about something different. And it was just a trigger of something they already liked, but they never had the bandwidth and they never made it a priority. And that's a big problem, I think, in in the world of L&D. We are so much focused on what we have done for the past 25 years. We're so proud about what we have achieved with our classroom trainings and our beautiful e-learnings. We get good remarks, not results. I was just about to say results. (laughs) We get good marks on our happy sheets. Great. Look what people are saying about us. It is great. But it's not about what we are about. It's not about impact. It's not about result. It is about great training. Yeah. And and once that happened and people had the time, they also saw that only moving from a classroom training to a virtual classroom was not enough. They didn't see any different impact coming out of that. I think that cost that we were now in our journey, in our history, where moving to a different format was really the way to do it. And, yeah. uh, and I think, yeah, it's it's a timing thing 
And I think the other element is the the whole trend of getting so much information. Yeah. Us. You know, when I talk with friends in the industry, L&D managers, L&D leaders, I think, you know, the same person that told us that in a hospital, you can now send somebody to training every week because there's so much change in the rules, in the medicines, in the equipment, in the compliance that people can't cope up with that. And you can't train it away because you don't have enough time to train it. And once you have created it, it's already outdated. I was with a manager of a large trucking company and he launched an e-learning course. And he said, Alfred, I launched it three weeks ago. Now I have to take it back because there are two things that are not correct anymore. I have to go to my vendor, change it, cost me 10,000. And then I know that within six months, I have to go back two times more because there will be more change. So it's not a format anymore that is a solution for every problem that we have. We need different approaches and different tools. Brilliant. Yeah. My two favorite words that I've heard over and over again are acceleration and opportunity. And this is an opp- the opportunity to, to have new conversations. And because of the rawness of the situation, the performance need of our learners, the acceleration of ideas like this, if we present them to try them, I think we have a more receptive buyer and learner, if you will, than we've ever had before. I love the police example, Alfred. And what I love about your work and admire about it is this was not a COVID-related shift for you. This has been a lifelong shift for you. You've been doing this for years and successfully for years. One of our favorite things for listeners to, to hear are those examples. Can you go into a couple, my friend, of where you've seen some remarkable outcomes from organizations you've worked with because of their shift to five moments or workflow? COVID aside, but COVID may be one of them, but what's, what's worked uh, for you and what have you seen work? Yeah, one of our most interesting companies is a consumer brand company. Uh, it's one of the largest brands in the world. I think they are the second most penetrated brand in households in the world. And the gentleman that runs their supply chain learning academy uh, approached me about three years ago. And he said, Alfred, I love your whole story about workflow learning, performance sport, and so on. But all the examples that I see are examples of projects for white collar workers. It's supporting sales and marketing people. It's supporting call centers. It's supporting the finance department. And I'm not in that world. I'm in the world of people with dirty hands, people that work at the machines in the factory. So, and my dream is, and that's what he said. He said, my dream and my legacy should be performance support for blue collar workers. Hmm. And uh, we started to create a solution for a factory where they saw the uh, numbers, the operational efficiency of that factory the uh, change over time of the machines, all those KPIs were trending in the wrong direction. They had an older crowd there. People were about to retire. They brought in new people. And how do we onboard them and keep the knowledge in that organization? And they created a solution, a workflow learning solution, supporting the operators, the machine operators at the machine, at the factory level, at the plant level, And after six months, they saw the needle moving into the right direction. More product coming off the machine, less downtime of the machines, faster change over time of the machines. Now, those impact numbers, that was the big success. You know, he went up to the supply chain leaders of that organization, showed the numbers, and that was 
the moment that he got proud. He said, Alfred, I now yeah. can present something to my leadership where I have moved the needle in the most important area of my company, that is the production numbers, the efficiency. And that was a huge, huge success. I think that's one of the stories that I'm proud of, that we moved from a very traditional approach into the white-collar workers into a completely different area. Mm. I think my second story is a more recent one. That is the COVID solution we built with the largest hospital in the Netherlands. We were doing five projects based on the five moments of need. We were training 17 of their L&D professionals, and they were each working in groups of three, four people on a project. And then I never forget it because I flew back from the U.S. that Friday. I think it was Friday, March 13th. could be the 14th. I flew back, one of the last flights out of the U.S., and we get a call, and the woman says, Alfred, we need to stop every project that we're working on based on the five moments of need. But we want to work with your team, very focused on having a solution ready in nine days from now, Monday the 23rd, for our intensive care department. Because Mm -hmm. we need to onboard so many of our people to work on the intensive care department because we will have a huge inflow of COVID-19 patients. I'm not even sure it was called COVID-19 at that moment. I thought (laughs) we were still talking corona. But she saw that happening. And in nine days, together with their L&D team, we built a, and created a full solution to support nurses, doctors, and everybody on that intensive care department supporting COVID-19 patients. And what they did very well is they said, Alfred, we have created it now. We want to give it to every other hospital in mm-hmm. the Netherlands for free. Mm-hmm. And that's how we really saw our solution going into the intensive care departments of Dutch hospitals. And it's even used in one of your hospitals St. Vincent in Erie, Pennsylvania, as uh, the solution to treat COVID-19 patients. Brilliant. ROI, right? Those are both examples of ROI. And I don't know a trained department. I, I don't know if you listened to the earlier podcasts, but those listening, you, I definitely go back if you didn't. But um, Chris King talked about, if you heard it, Alfred, about it, an instance of standing up a COVID call center for um, tracing, for, for COVID tracing. And same problem. They they were they were introducing a, a system that was agilely built in being built in an agile model. So there were almost daily revs of it. They had to orient it to people that had never seen that before. They had oriented to non-technical people like doctors and others that would advise people on the phone who suspected they had COVID. And they had a matter of 20, 19 days. And and he said, which I which I think is where you're also going, is that I love why they came to you because they there's no way like you said earlier, you could train your way out of that situation. You, if, if you had developed training in that time, which you couldn't have, and in Chris's cases, it wouldn't have been current, to your point earlier, it still couldn't train up folks to then sit in front of these systems or, or administer in any in intensive care the way they had to. The only way is to put it in the workflow, and, and darn it, they learned, they performed, they, they schooled up in the moment of apply. We, we, we put such little faith in learners' ability, even in critical scenarios like you described, expensive machinery or people's lives, that you can actually do training there, but in in a way that people adjust. So, Alfred, I want to shift to this mindset, and you've you've counseled organizations through this multiple times. What challenges did they face in that journey, in your opinion, when you talked to them and schooled them? What did the 
What did the L&D managers share? What did the IDs talk about? What did what what culturally did they struggle with? In what challenges did they face in making this shift? And 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 also, if you don't mind, what did you think? What did they do successfully? What what made it work in your opinion? Yeah, you know the ones where we struggle are the organizations that want to have a huge debate with the whole L&D team and with the whole HR organization about making the shift because it causes so much discussion, uncertainty, unclarity, everything in that organization. So we have had a client where I've been working for a year in trying to convince the whole organization and we never got there. Yeah. You know, so what I always say is really do it a little bit under the radar. I I know you have been talking about that a lot in the past, but it's pick up a project where you believe that the impact will be big, but it's, it's not so big that the whole organization has to have a say on that project. Pick Mm. that project for a client, do it, and do it in the right way. And doing it in the right way requires communication, requires change management, requires a good implementation strategy. That is all required. It's a process. It's not a thing you drop and you do. So that is one. We both know that one of the biggest hurdles is old group in the organization. The old group could be the L&D team, but it also could be managers that keep on asking for the same old solution. So one of my clients is the biggest city in the Netherlands. You can imagine which city that is. And when we started with two projects there, they invited me to do a workshop for the management of those two departments. They said they need to understand what we are doing and why we are doing this, and that it changes the communication around learning and development. Mm. That it means that you don't go out to your L&D department in the coming years asking for two days of training and three hours of e-learning. It's a different discussion. And if you can't change that behavior, that culture, it's going to be battling against a force that you will never win. It's about that culture. It's about the communication. It's about change that an organization needs to be open to. And we know that the first hurdle is that L&D department because I have been in L&D departments where people were really looking at me, what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> Shutting down our classrooms? No, I'm not, but it's doing them different. Focus on critical skills, critical knowledge. That is something different than doing everything in your classroom. Yeah, but we have always done it this way. And it's an interesting shifts up and it's it's not an easy one but the beauty is once people have heard the story it sticks somewhere i was yep. with one of the largest pharmaceutical companies Bob, last week and she said alfred i met you and bob Mosier four years ago when bob did a session in antwerp about the five moments of need and that moment is still in my mind i never did anything with it she said but now it's the time to talk about it One of my favorite quotes, Alfred, from a a dear friend of ours, Doug Holt, who's been on a podcast before that I just love. He just says, look, once you've seen this, how do you look away? You know, I remember sitting through my first RWA with Khan years ago when I was at another organization heading up learning there. And he did a workshop for our team and helped rewrite a course. I don't think we expected him to do what he did, 
because we kind of understood it. But I, but in, again, like like you're saying, in our heart, we really didn't. We kind of wanted the same thing, but different kind of a thing. And I remember walking out highly frustrated from that day, Alfred, because I looked back at all my work through most of my professional career and said, how do I go back and do it that way ever again? I don't know if I know what I, I don't know if I'm there yet in how to do it. And in my journey, I wasn't. But what I did know was ethically to have watched what Khan did and see the outcome that we made going back to five days of this or three e-learnings of that, although there's always a degree of that in the blend, but for that to be the tip of the sword or all I thought I would ever do, I just couldn't do again. Just couldn't do again. But to your point, timing is everything. And and that kind of speaks to my next question. Again, I, I ask almost everyone, my guests, this, that are farther down the journey as you are. Many listen to this and they're not. They're me back walking out of that thing going, oh my gosh, I see the light, but I don't know how to get there or where I even start. What advice would you give to those in that place on this journey? Where does a leader start in an L&D department or an L&D professional who wants to get into this? What would your advice be to realistically begin this journey? You know, I had an interesting moment today when I did a one-hour introduction of what we do to a group in one of the larger government agencies a week ago. And she came back today. She said, Alfred, I have a bigger group. Really, we were impressed by your presentation. We loved it. And I have a bigger group out of my academy that wants to hear your story. But she said, this time, they don't want to hear the theory. They only want to see examples of Mm. what it is. And I thought, no, that's not what it is. It's not a trick that I can show you. It has a huge underlying theory and methodology. Mm. And you as an organization need to understand that theory and methodology. You need to understand the why before you start with the how. So I I was frustrated about that one because I don't want to go in there and show them examples without explaining why we're doing that, what the five moments of need are how you design and develop that. It's not, oh, I've seen a five moments of need solution. I got another one also this morning where somebody said, yeah, I'm going to do an interview with an organization that has blended 70, 20, 10 and the five moments of need. I said, oh, I'm interested to hear which organization is that because if they are in Europe, they should have been trained and certified by us on the five moments of need. And she named the organization, never been in a training, only heard you speak for an hour and are now specialist in blending 70-20-10 with the five moments of need. No way, Bob. Mm. It is about understanding what is happening in our world, understanding how to design and develop that. You need to be trained for that. You need to go through the education yourself to do that. It's not a simple uh, thing. And that's what I see in many organizations. They think it's simple because we have become a simple type of organization. We create something and we're a logistic department. We're not the thinkers anymore. We're not the consultants anymore. That's what I think is a big problem for our industry. Yeah. We're not the helpers of making our company efficient. We're not the partner at the table as everybody's talking about. And I think we need to bring that back. And we can only do that by showing success. And what I always do with my clients is have them talk with other organizations that are implementing Mm. 
five moments of need-based solutions. So go talk with that big consumer brand company that really has done it for the blue collar workers. Go talk with one of the largest healthcare companies that has done it for the sales and marketing team. Go talk with the utilities company that has implement five moments of need to support the gas and electricity engineers. So talk with them and learn what it means, learn what it is to go through that process. Yeah. And what's wonderful, Alfred, about this is we, we had this conversation five years ago, um, maybe a little longer. The depth of adoption was not there, but the global shift and adoption to this and the companies that you name, the brands that we can talk to is really just remarkable. So let, let's wrap with this, my friend. <laughs> Obviously, the where will we be five months from now is an unfair question because nobody really knows. But I could ask, where do you think we should be? You know, one thing I get asked quite a bit is, where will L&D be when we come out of this? And my answer is always the same. Well, that's for L&D to decide. <laughs> Not, what I mean by that is, I, don't, I think to your point earlier, we can either be act upon or act, or we can either fall back to what we know, or we can emerge through the opportunity we discussed when we started as something different. Where do you want to see us be when we come out of this? Where should L&D be in the next several months or year or so? You know, I think every organization is now talking about what needs to be done with regards to skilling and upskilling yep. of our team. So everybody is open to that discussion now. I think upskilling and skilling is even seen by many CEOs as the number one topic on the agenda for the next years. Now, the organization that does that is L&D. But if L&D keeps on presenting themselves as a delivery entity that is only a logistic department, ensuring that you get your courses and resources distributed through a better LMS than the LMS that we bought 10 years ago, then you get stuck in the same old stuff that you have been doing forever. I'm frustrated about how oriented we are on bringing tools in the organization without thinking about the impact that we provide by doing that. There needs to be more thought behind that. And everybody in our world wants to have a seat at the table, but how do you get a seat at the table? You only get a seat at the table when you can talk impact, when you yep. can talk KPIs, when you can yep. talk, what do we bring for the business? What do we bring to help our company survive the next 10 years? How do we help our company evolve over the next 20 years? What is our strategy to do that? And I think when you have a strategy, when you have a story, your CEO wants to listen to you. But if you are not having a story, you don't have another strategy, then we need to bring in the next LXP because it's so beautiful, then you're, you're, you're nowhere. I was talking last week with a CLO of a large company and he said, Alfred, we have such a great LXP. And it, it does a lot of things very good. And, and you know, tracking and, and tracing is, is really powerful. The AI is, is interesting. But my biggest problem is that I know that we have 22,000 resources in that damn thing. And when I start working with it, I can't find anything. So there is no structure around what that L&D department has brought in just before he came in as CLO. And now, how do I work with it? 
it doesn't do what I need it for. I need it to support learning in the flow of work. Even the company that sells this product says, we are the learning in the flow of work technology. No, you're not. It's only access to content. It doesn't bring it in the context as we both know. Now, if we keep on doing these things and are not more focused on the value that we're creating, then we can keep on talking about the seat at the table, but we will yep. never get one. We will never get one. It starts thinking more in a business way. We know that one CLO that you had on your podcast a couple of weeks ago, Rob Lauber, who really aligned L&D with the business. And I was always impressed listening to him because he knew that what he was doing was impactful at the bottom line of that organization. Well, like Rob Lauber, you are one of my heroes, Alfred. You've been a tremendous mentor, friend through all this journey. As always, you're so gracious to share your story. And you've been ahead of this curve from the very beginning. And as always, bring great value. We can't thank you enough for being a part of the podcast. And thanks so much for your help along this journey. Thank you, Bob. was a pleasure. Well, that's it for this episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. We look forward to future conversations around how to best put the five moments of need into practice. We welcome your feedback and can be reached on Twitter using my Twitter handle at BMOSH as well as our Five Moments of Need website, which is www.the5momentsofneed.com. We hope you're finding these helpful and will subscribe to future episodes. Have a great day, friends.